Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, folks, quick note before the show begins. As always, the Mets appear to be doing something just after we record. There's a three-team trade apparently happening. We don't have any details yet, but I'm editing the show we recorded today, and I am just letting you know we're not going to talk about this trade because we didn't know it was happening because this is what the Mets do to us all the time. So enjoy. Hi, Mets fans. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And we've uh, not recorded for a few weeks, and the Mets have done some things. The Mets did not do a big thing that we were thinking slash maybe fearing they would do. And we're going to get to that in the second half of our show. But first, let's talk about the moves the Mets did make. I guess if we're going chronologically here, the first thing... Chris was the Mets traded away Stephen Matz. He was traded to the Blue Jays for a trio of, um, I guess we'll call it like upper minors depth pitching, uh, Sean Reed Foley, Josh Winkowski, and Yenzi Diaz. I don't know too much about any of these guys. I know that they're all pretty young, that they all project as you know, maybe uh, a back-end starter, maybe a relief pitcher. Nothing, nothing. you know, I don't think there's necessarily a uh, a future all-star in the mix, although I would I would hope there is, but, you know, we don't know. But overall, sort of the idea of, of shedding mats and picking up some, some depth for the system, how do you feel about that? Well, going back a few months now, I 
was of the mind that Stephen Matz was a pretty legitimate non-tender tender candidate. And all along, I would admit that it's possible that he could be a good back-end starting pitcher, uh, which is basically what he had been in 2018 and 2019 for the Mets before he just completely imploded last year. But that combination of trying to be rational and still being a fan, uh, I couldn't help it. I was I was just kind of done watching Steven Matz starts. They, I don't know. There, there was always just this frustration there of knowing it was possible that he could go out there and dominate or he could throw anywhere from two to four, five innings and not really do so well along the way. So in that regard, uh, I was a little bit surprised that they did tender him a contract. Uh, I think they, they settled on that salary before the non-tender deadline even came, if I'm remembering the order of, of events correctly here. But he's a guy who I think it would have been very easy if they held on to him to slot him into a rotation spot to start the season. Um, and I just don't think that was necessarily the best plan A. So I'm glad he gets to go somewhere that I think he's going to get an opportunity to pitch. I hope he does well. I, it, it's one of those things like I, I don't dislike him. Uh, you know, he seemed like a good dude as far as we could tell. Um, he, and we, and we, we got to spend a little time with him at a charity yeah. event, and he seemed perfectly nice, and it was a nice event. And, you know, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. So, you know, all, all of that, it, there's nothing bitter there at all as a fan that you root for him to succeed. Um, and while I still hope the Mets bring in another starting pitcher to bump everybody after Stroman and Carrasco down a notch on that depth chart, uh, I'm okay with making that move. And I don't know. It, I guess you could make it an argument that with Steve Cohen's money and Stephen Matz making $5 million in 2021, that maybe they should have held on to him. But I think the time was right for that change of scenery for him. And I think having three pitchers who uh, aren't necessarily going to be better than Stephen Matz in 2021, but at least give you some more arms that are there, uh, for whether it's a need in the rotation or the bullpen and whether it's this year or the next few years, uh, I'm, I'm glad they got that level of return. Um, you know, coming off of that opinion, not that long ago that I thought maybe they should just let him go for absolutely nothing. So, yeah, I, I think I pretty much agree with everything that you said. Um, I, I would argue that three middling high minors depth guys are probably an almost exact match for what Steven Matz was in 2019 in terms of just usefulness to the team. You know, um, they're going to need guys like that to pick up a start here and there. And if these guys push, no disrespect to our pal Corey Oswalt down the depth chart, but you know, those, if, if these, if these pitchers are a better choice than the Chris Flexens and Corey Oswalt's of the last couple of years have been, that's, that's super, super valuable. And I don't think it was ever about the money, but 
$5 million can probably bring you in a better version of Steven Matz for this year. And so it doesn't bother me. I Again, I, I it was fun to root for Matz. He had one of the all-time Mets debuts. His grandfather stole the show. You know, he seemed like a guy who was, cared about the community and was a, just a generally good dude. And I will always root for that guy to succeed wherever he is. I hope he wins the AL Cy Young Award next year. Um, but I just don't think it would have worked out for him in Queens. And, and maybe, maybe, and I, I'm not one to put a ton of stock into this sort of stuff, but I think I'd be more nervous playing for my hometown team than I would be playing for a random team I never really thought much about. So maybe the change of scenery will do him good. I don't know. Like I said, I don't put a ton of stock into that sort of stuff, but you never know. And um, yeah, fare thee well, Stephen Matz. Any any other Matz comments? Um, no, I, I, I think that about sums it up. Uh, and I think you're right that if they decide to sign another starting pitcher and they've been connected to a few, um, the one, the name that's come up the most in the last day or two is Jake Arrieta, who I would think is going to be either equal to or worse than Steven Matz this year. Uh, but if they add somebody else at that same salary or a little bit higher, I would think if you go a little bit higher, you could get somebody who is a lot more likely to be good or, right. or decent. So yeah, I'm with you on that. It, I don't know. It feels weird that he was drafted such a long time ago and it just feels like he's been around for forever. Um, so in that sense, it, it you know, it's weird to see him go. Uh, and Jacob deGrom has remained the standout uh, and no Syndergaard a close second, but obviously he's missed uh, all this time with the, the injury that he suffered last spring. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of weird. If you went back not that far in Mets history, you would not have predicted necessarily that DeGrom and Syndergaard would be the only two left out of that dream five-man rotation. Right. And that two of those pitchers would be borderline major leaguers or, or I mean, who knows if Matt Harvey even ends up in, uh, in a bullpen to start this season. Yeah, I I would be somewhat shocked about that, but yeah. we'll see. The other um, the other two signings the Mets have made are uh, one of them we'll talk a little bit more about in a minute. But let's quickly bang out a discussion of Albert Almora Jr. He is a center fielder. Um, he's played most of his career with the Cubs. He's not exactly what you'd call a hitter. <laughs> uh, and unfortunately, in the last couple of years, he's lost a little bit of step on his outfield defense as well. While Mets fans were hoping for Jackie Bradley Jr., so far the Mets have signed Albert Almora Jr. Maybe they thought we wouldn't notice with the juniors, just we'd, we'd take it as it is. But this, if, if he is to be their fifth outfielder, defensive replacement, insurance policy, etc., then I think this is a fine move. I don't think there's any way you can start him. Uh, I don't think you can start him every day unless he has, you know, a 1927 Lou Gehrig season in spring training and you just, you know, you have to give him a shot. I, I see this as 
a uh, an insurance policy against a future signing or against Brandon Nimmo being just atrocious in the outfield and needing a short-term solution here. But I don't think this can possibly be the Mets' everyday center fielder. Do you? Oh, yeah. No, not, not at all. And it's weird because he's only 26. Uh, but you just look at that rundown on a year-by-year basis and um, – I don't know if he can hit in the major leagues anymore. I, I'm trying to heed my own advice to not take 2022 seriously, but uh, I don't know. It, it it just seems like a logical extension of what was happening in his trend as a hitter over the last few years uh, before that. So, yeah, yeah. I'm I, I don't want the final roster to start this season to force Dom Smith or J.D. Davis into left field every day with Brandon Nimmo forced into center field every day. Uh, but I would still prefer that outfield layout to Almora getting significant starting time. I think uh, this you... would be different if Almora was the best defensive center fielder in baseball. I think even if he, even if he was a zero with the bat, if you felt like you could confidently put Dom Smith in left field and not worry about it, then I think you can somewhat you can somewhat get rid of the offensive production and still be okay with this. But if he's a middling defensive center fielder who can't hit, then why are you playing him at all? Right, and yeah, yeah. I just I know there's been some questions about his defense as well not not that it's bad or worse than the you know the other options that the Mets have on hand already but it's not elite uh right there there people have watched him play uh much more than we have really only getting to see the Cubs a few times per year uh, with the way baseball works with interleague play um I don't have any strong opinions on it myself but there's at least some question as to whether or not he's really an elite defender in center or more just a, a guy who's capable of playing center field. So, uh, I don't know. You would think, and granted, his uh, brief tenure as manager of a team that he never managed a game for. Uh, <laughs> but as a player, you, you would think that Mets fans might look back and appreciate that Carlos Beltran was really the last center fielder who could do it all uh, on this team. I I will argue that for a short period of time, Angel Pagan came close, but nowhere near what Beltran was. Right. Yeah, no, that, that's fair. Um, uh, Beltran was Hall of Fame caliber. Uh, right. Obviously, you know, that that's sort of an unfair bar to use for anybody, but Pagan was pretty solid. Like right around the time they traded him was when they should have used him the most. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So so that was the one move the Mets made, and they made a move that does impact the center field position a little bit by signing Jonathan VR on uh, I guess this was Monday, Tuesday. When was this? It was yesterday, Tuesday. Time is irrelevant, folks. We all know this. My apologies. <laughs> um, 
While we don't know how much the Almora deal was for, we know this is for a, oh, this is a one-year, $3.55 million deal. VR has played with a bunch of different teams. In 2019, he was with Baltimore and had a really good year. 24 home runs, 40, 40 stolen bases, a 4.1 Fangraphs war. Um, he has some speed, which the Mets do not have any of whatsoever. Um, as Chris noted, uh, sorry, as Christian noted in his uh, write-up for the, the signing for us, he trails only Billy Hamilton, D. Gordon, and Sterling Marte in stolen bases uh, actively. So, or since since 2013, rather, um, he can play shortstop a little bit, probably not a ton. He's a very capable second baseman and third baseman in a backup role, and he is a relatively capable center field backup. So this is a move that gives the Mets a lot of flexibility. It gives them the ability to rest some guys, to, to take away some center field at-bats from either the offensively middling Almora or the defensively challenged Brandon Nimmo. I think, you know, if J.D. Davis were happen to be having me included in a trade for somebody, I think you could feel okay with VR at third base for a while or at second base and let McNeil go over to third. I think this opens up a lot of possibilities for the Mets. It's not a lot of money, and I think it's a pretty good deal. What do you think of the VR signing? Yeah, I like it too. Uh, this is a guy who, on top of that 4.1 uh, war season that he had um, in 2019, he – He's been a guy who, I don't know, he doesn't have a long track record of doing that every year, but when he's playing relatively well, it's a it's a very good level of player. So all of the things you mentioned, uh, the fact that he is capable of stealing bases, the fact that he is someone who is experienced at, at several different positions, granted the outfield positions, it's it's a pretty limited experience at the major league level um when I, I don't know if he played those positions anytime in his minor league career but that that was a long time ago now even if he did right but uh but yeah no that this is somebody who i think is a much more versatile bench piece than jose martinez obviously <laughs> yes, uh, yes. i mean right now both of those guys are <laughs> slated to make the bench um but if I'm yeah. not mistaken, didn't Martinez sign a split contract? I saw that somewhere. I, I wasn't entirely sure if that you, was you talk. Let me look this up. True. Yeah. Well, I mean, so the the thing that gets me is you still have players who are out of options. So you know, I'm not sure of the details. One, if if that is definitely true. Oh yeah, it is. This is from the official Mets signing. Uh, it's worth a million dollars with five hundred thousand in incentives if he makes the majors, or two hundred twenty-five thousand incentives if he's in the minors. So you could start Martinez off in the minors and not worry about that bench spot right away, which would be very useful for the Mets. Yeah, yeah. If he is open to it, which you know, based on the sound of that, uh, I don't know if he has a choice. But right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess he could always retire, but <laughs> yeah. Hey, we we've seen that before. Yes, we have. Um, but the thing that throws me off is he's still on the forty-man roster right now. Oh, he does have options left 
because he was a guy who, you know, you have these cases of guys who are in the majors for several years and have options because they made it and then stuck. Right. They never got sent back again. Okay. Okay. Well, that, that gives a little more flexibility in that regard. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, VR is, I think, pretty comparable, in, in at least conceptually, to Marwin Gonzalez, who uh, I think is a little bit more well-known. Mm-hmm. Not that either one is like the face of baseball, but um, <laughs> I don't know. Marwin just seems like a guy who, uh, you know, he was on the Astros for an extended period of time, had success there. Um, and I think that might have just raised his profile more, even though that team's infamous now. Right. You know, be, being on that team was a very visible thing. Uh, having a four-win season for the 2019 Orioles, who were completely irrelevant, uh, flies a little more under the radar. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying I guarantee that he'll be better than that. That VR will be better than Gonzalez this year, but uh, it's certainly conceivable that that could be the case. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I like it. I like it too. Um, this this also puts the bench a little bit more into focus if we have. Uh, Almora and VR and presumably Tomas Nito as the backup catcher, uh, Louis Guillaume as the backup shortstop. And then um, you either have Martinez or maybe, uh, I don't know who else you would carry if not Martinez right now. I guess it depends if they sign Jackie Bradley Jr. or another everyday uh, center fielder. That would be that spot then. Right. Um you know, so I, I suppose we will see. Um, we have a couple more things we want to very, very brief, briefly touch on here. Uh, the Mets are linked to a couple of starting pitchers. You mentioned um, Jake Arrieta. They've also apparently spoken to James Paxton. And um, who else was, was noted by Andy Martino today? Um, Taiwan Walker. And I don't think it was Rich Hill, but Rich Hill was mentioned earlier in the week. And uh, like you said... The Mets on another starter would be a very good thing. Real quickly, do you have any uh, preference as to which of those guys you'd want to see signed? So I guess it it varies by day, but (laughs) Hill and Walker are the names that are most intriguing to me. Uh, But I understand who, you know, some in some cases people uh, have that stronger feeling that they'd like to see Paxton be that guy. But I, I think there's an equal argument for the three of them. Um Hill, uh, I'm, I'm biased. He did it uh, years ago on my brother's high school team. One of one of his teammates was Rich Hill's nephew. So uh, he, he did like a workout, uh, you know, sort of guest, you know, guest workout drop-in kind of thing where he came. And uh, at the time he was pitching in the minors, but he had, he had had major league success. And, you know, this was before his late career resurgence. But uh, I guess I'm a little partial uh because of that but it, in terms of the results that you're going to get i think the combination of of health and results um is pretty similar you know none of the those three walker hill and, and um paxton have sparkling health records either for the short or long term looking back so uh yeah i guess today i'm still on walker would be my top choice Tomorrow it might be Hill, 
maybe it'll be Paxton on, on you know, Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, any any of them would be fine. And I'd take all of them way over Arietta. So I agree with all of that. I think simply for the Players Weekend Dick Mountain jersey, Rich Hill gets an extra half a point for me. <laughs> so uh, we'll say we'll say Rich Hill for now. Um, and then lastly, before we get to our guest for the second half of the show, uh, there have been intimations, and now Governor Cuomo has announced that you know the beginnings of plans to bring fans back to live sports are there, and so there may be. Mets fans at opening day. It sounds like there will definitely be Mets fans there later in the season. I don't want to get into the ethics of this because I think everybody knows where we stand on this. But I just have a personal question for you, Chris, which is what will it take for you to attend a Mets game in 2020? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Being vaccinated and knowing that the spread of COVID has been completely minimized. I know we're not getting a zero this year or maybe ever. Um, but it, it would, it would take a, a combination of those things. Um, so if it's 10%, 25% to start the season, uh, I'm not going to be there yet. You know, certainly not buying tickets and sitting out among fans, no matter how, the layout is or whatever. I just, I don't know. I can't get on board with that, but I I hope sometime before the end of the season, that threshold, you know, personally being vaccinated and let's say, I, well, I'll defer to experts who, who know better, but I know generally 70 to 80% of the population being vaccinated is about where they've set the bar right. to, you know, to say, okay, it's safe for you and others uh, because we'll really have drastically brought down uh, either the spread of the virus, what it's capable of doing to people if they do get it, or both. Um, so, yeah, I am not personally optimistic on attending a game this year, but I I would love for those things to happen and to be able to do it uh, and for it to be safe yeah i i feel uh very very uh similar to how you feel with this i think if i was vaccinated and i could buy a standing room ticket and the country was at a much lower transmission rate and the games weren't packed i would think about it but i'm thinking it's a no for me this year and we should we should mention we are among the lucky ones who saw live baseball in 2020 because of spring training, right? And so uh, maybe when you take, you know, the average fan hasn't seen a game in person probably since September of 2019. So what does that give us an extra five months? We saw baseball five months more recently than anyone else has. So maybe five months from now I'll be feeling the similar itch to what folks are feeling right now. But and look, nothing would make me happier. Then standing behind section 120 with you, beer in hand, chatting about the game. Like that's I, I love going to Mets games. Love it. It's one of my favorite five places on the planet. But I just I don't feel the risk is worth it right now. Yeah, yeah. So and I can say there's a zero percent chance of being at uh spring training in person in any capacity. Yes. This year. And you know, we 
uh, when we go to spring training uh, and occasionally at a, at a major league Mets game and occasionally at uh, minor league ballparks, we will get credentials uh, to, you know, to attend in that capacity. So, you know, if there's a, like a weeknight, low attendance, low capacity opportunity to go with a camera and wear a mask and not, and truly not be even like near any other person i could see maybe doing that sure but you know that i'd still want to be vaccinated and to feel like it was you know safer than it is right now so even that i can't see um in the next few months but you know and and that's a very different experience of what you're going to do right right um compared to like going to a game as as a fan who wants to get a Shack burger and get a beer and, you know, talk freely and not think about whether or not talking is getting somebody else sick. Right. Well, let's take a break. We're going to be back in just a minute with our friend Eric Steven from True Blue, True Blue LA. Say that three times fast uh, to talk about the Trevor Bauer signing by the Dodgers and the implications of that on and off the field. So stay tuned. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Joining us on the show today is uh, a fellow SB Nation podcaster and writer. He is the co-host of the True Blue LA podcast with Jacob Birch. I have to say, one of the best edited podcasts in baseball. Uh, that's a joke. <laughs> I, I, I edit the podcast for them. Uh, but uh, Eric, Steven, thank you for coming on the show today. We appreciate you being here. It's my pleasure, and I, I totally uh, I endorse your statement. It is very well edited. <laughs> I apologize for all the, like, subpar audio that we send you and you somehow turn it into like something listenable so i I appreciate it no that is that is that is not true at all you guys do a great show over there but i was telling eric before we started recording you know we I, i listened to their episode about trevor bauer and i wanted to talk to somebody from the la you know fan base about this because i mean chris you and i have been covering the mets for how long you've been in mason avenue now Oh God, uh, 10 years and three months. And this is my, I think we're entering my sixth or seventh year with the site. I can never remember there being a free agent signing that was this um, controversial on both sides. That was this, I, I can't remember the Mets ever exhaling, Mets fans ever exhaling this deep after not signing a player that you know won a Cy Young award that that was you know they got a record contract. I mean, Eric, have you ever seen this before from a Dodgers perspective? 
No, it, it we were. It was sort of funny, like because you know what was this Thursday night, where we kind of knew it was between the Mets and the Dodgers, mm-hmm. and like you basically had Mets fans on one side going, "I hope he signs with the Dodgers," and then Dodgers fans going, "I hope he signs with the Mets." Now it wasn't everyone, obviously. Right. There's like both sides, but it's, it was just really funny. And then like the, you're right. Like this is a he literally just won the Cy Young, and it like the the voting on the Cy Young was like what 27 out of 30 first place votes. Mm-hmm. The the fact that he his market is essentially like a three year contract that's weird on the other end. Like because the like the system in baseball is kind of broken right now. But like even last last winter, I mean it was pre pandemic, obviously, but like player. Uh, the higher end people were getting like bigger deals. So it was just, just an, everything about this was odd. Like it was just, it was very weird the whole, the whole way through. Yeah. And you know, I, I would say that it's, it's pretty, pretty much accepted language that Jacob deGrom and Clayton Kershaw are among the best pitchers in baseball. If not one and two, certainly in the top five or seven pitchers in baseball right now, both of them are making a pittance compared to what Bauer will be making for the next two years, which is $40 million this year and $45 million next year. And everything about this contract blows my mind. We're going to get into the off-the-field stuff for a second, but as a Dodger fan, do you feel like there's any way that he can live up to this contract? And again, we should, we should state, and you said this on your show, and we said this on our show all the time, like, it's not our money. If the owners want to pay him... You know, $10 billion to play baseball. They have the money. That is their prerogative. But there's sort of this idea of what your team puts into a signing and what you get out of it. Do you see a way of him sort of making that feel worthwhile? I mean, maybe, like, in a weird way. Like, so, you know, the standard thing is is to look at, like, you know, dollars per war or whatever. And even that on that end, it's like it's really hard to live up to that because – uh, if it's like eight million per war, I'm not sure what the exact number is. He has to be a five or almost six win pitcher uh, in both years, and then like that's really really hard to do. And his track record is is so inconsistent that you you don't think that that it's even possible. I don't I don't not a not a believer it, as much in dollars per war. I think you know it's not linear at least, and I think on the higher end. You know, maybe it's it's a little bit higher than um, in the middle or something. But then you, the question is: Is Bauer actually the higher end? Like, you know, basically, given his track record, he's had two like good to really good to great seasons in the last three years. But like, those are his only two years of a, a essentially seven full season career with an ERA under four. I know there's other ways to measure than ERA, but like, he's been very inconsistent and like. Uh, so you part of these contracts you're paying for certainty and you know he hasn't been hurt so like there's certainty there but like performance wise it's it's just a, a huge risk so I, I don't think it's it's really hard it's going to be really hard to live up to that contract if such things possible I know that the New York media gets referenced a lot in terms of being a tough town to play in and that I think that uh, Dodger fans are traditionally considered more laid back than Mets fans are. Do you think that he's going to, on a baseball side, hear about this contract from from fans? Um, so I don't think so. Well, he's so he picked the perfect time to do this in that 
I don't like California. They've been really strict about allowing like fans. They just haven't done it. So at some point this year, there's going to be fans at Dodger Stadium. But like to start the year, not you know, it, it, we're just going to be like watching on TV. Now, if if it, we're a week away from spring training and the Dodgers like still haven't signed like re-signed Justin Turner yet or the whatever alternative they have planned. I do think they're still going to eventually sign Justin Turner, but if the situation comes up where they end up just letting Turner walk and then having getting some inferior solution, I could see that being like, well, why did we sign Bauer if you're not going to sign Justin Turner too? You, you would think they're pushing all the chips in or whatever. So, like, if that's related, I think um, there there could be something or like may, maybe next year, like. Next offseason, uh, Kershaw is going to be a free agent. I think they'll do everything in their power to like make sure he essentially retires a Dodger. But like, if somehow they let Kershaw walk over like money, then you could be like, well, why did you give all that money to Trevor Bauer? Like, you know, I mm-hmm. could see that. Mm-hmm. So, but I think it would take other other things for them to like boo the contract. I think on some level, it's like I would say the majority of fans are like pretty happy that. They like literally just added like the rating Cy Young winner. So on some level, like I think he has a bit of a a honeymoon period at least. Mm -hmm. Chris, I want to bring you into this for a second. Um, From a purely baseball standpoint, this is the last thing we're going to talk about baseball wise. When you looked as an outsider looking at the Dodgers, you know, the World Series champions, a relatively complete team, do you think he makes sense? I mean, look, the Cy Young winner makes sense on every team, right? I don't mean that, but if do you think that it made sense for the Dodgers to go out and sign him, given the team that they have on the field already? Uh, yeah, I mean, I strictly from a baseball standpoint, you know, you're you're looking at a team that has been willing to spend a lot of money, uh, pretty consistently. You, you know, I, we we try to walk this line now that we root for a team that also. Uh, at least is flirting with the threshold, but you know it's a team that has been willing to pay lo- uh, the luxury tax, which, as we always remind people, is not that much money, especially uh, for you know teams that are newly going over it um, or, or not going over it by much. But uh, yeah, I mean, on the baseball side of things, I, I get it. Uh, I personally would have more faith in Kershaw or or. Uh, at least one or two other pitchers in the Dodgers rotation over him uh, myself. And that's just because I, I don't know, the 2019 season happened and it's, it's also, I don't know. It, it can be tough uh, to not buy into that drastic change in performance when you're a Mets fan who saw Justin Turner get non-tender, didn't have a problem with it at the time and then has seen what he's done in his time in, in L.A. So I don't know if I'm stubborn or correct in not fully buying that this is the pitcher that Bauer is. Um, I guess neither outcome would surprise me. You know, most seasons in his career, he's been a four-and-change ERA guy uh, in the American League. So if he hovered around a four ERA over the next couple seasons in the National League, that wouldn't shock me. And, you know, if if he's a guy who's right up there with Kershaw and, you know, turns in sub three and, and sub two ERA type seasons uh, on a regular basis, 
then uh, on the baseball side of things, I, I will have been proven wrong, but, um, it is, I, I think that dynamic is, is somewhat interesting. I mean, I'd be absolutely shocked if Justin Turner did sign back with the Mets, even though they were reported to have a little bit of interest in him. But, uh, the fact that Bauer came down to our two teams, uh, and the fact that there's that link that Turner came from the Mets, letting him go, um, and and flourishing with the Dodgers, it would just be an, another le- level of weirdness <laughs> added to the whole uh, last couple of weeks. Yeah, Eric, if Turner you... wound up back here. Yeah, yeah. Eric, how do you feel about the Dodgers needing Bauer right now? Yeah, I don't. Well, bef- before I answer that, I will say just as a full confession, I know I'm on a Mets podcast. I have the the Mets tweet of the non-tender of Justin Turner bookmarked for easy <laughs> reference because it's it's occasionally fun to bring out. So I apologize in advance for that. But yeah, so I guess he fits now. You know, they went into the last their supposed strength heading into the postseason last year was going to be like outside of say the Indians, they were like the only playoff team that had like five actual starters, like real starting pitchers that were like rare, ready to go. But then like they mo- essentially moved like Dustin May into this uh, relief role. He was probably the most inconsistent of the starters, but even that his numbers were like fine. Um, Tony Gonsolin has excellent stuff, but I think they're worried about him, his stuff like fading after like, it's not quite third time through the order, but I, I I think it like fades at like 75 pitchers or something. So I could see on, on some, now they're getting David price back. You would think like he's going to be a, you know, somewhere close to league average probably, you know? So they, they're, they were already six deep in, in that regard. Now you would think maybe uh, may or Gonsolin could use some, if not minor league season seasoning, then bullpen. So I get it somewhat, but like, now you're basically like taking two people out of that rotation. And I know they're going to use, they're, they're going to use like 10 starters, like all teams do and they have quality, but it's it just, it, it does seem like a very excessive move. Like they, they were already going to uh, go over the luxury tax threshold, which again, I agree with you. It's, it shouldn't be a, as much of a deterrent as it is, but like the fact that they signed him, they're just like completely blowing past it. So like, even now, right? Like if they sign Turner, they're going to end up at like 250 million for the CBT uh, payroll, and even that the, the the tax itself is like I think 10.4 million at that. Which you know who am I to say like 10.4 million isn't that big of a deal? But it really is just a, a cost, right? It, it's a relatively small. It's just an added to the pile. They're already spending 250 million. It's really not that big of a deterrent. So like I, I on some level I, I I agree it shouldn't, but, but like. It was. It's definitely an excessive move. It wasn't a need, but I sort of get why they did it. There's an argument to be made that if you're gonna go over, you might as well go over, right? You might as well really go for it. I think so. And like in past years, like uh, so, the current ownership group, like um, they, their first full year was 2013. They had, in the end of 2012, they made the crazy like. Um, uh, we call it the Nick Punto trade with the Red Sox that uh, they basically took on like $250 million of contracts, Adrian Gonzalez, Carl Crawford, Josh Beckett, all those guys. 
their payroll for like the first five full years was like it averaged like 265 million or something. They paid 150 million in luxury tax alone. They did that while like building up the farm system. One of the years they went, they spent like 90 over like 90 million in on the international market when you could back when you could do that. Um, and so they sort of built it. They were like simultaneously contending and building the infrastructure. So now they have the infrastructure. And then so 2018, 2019, they, they went under the CBT threshold, but only slightly. They were still averaging like 200 million. So it's not like they were poppers or anything. And I think that it was that's their sort of MO now. Like um, now they're essentially they're a first time payer because they haven't paid in a few years. They would have went over last year had David Price not opted out. So it was like this weird fortuitous side um uh, product of that happening. Um, so they haven't paid the tax in three years, but they've had high payroll still. And I think that's their sort of plan. They, they still have some flexibility. Like they still don't have a ton of guaranteed money, even with Bauer. Like it's essentially Mookie Betts long-term and then a few stragglers here and there. Um, so th they have a lot of actual like flexibility. There's going to be some arbitration raises and stuff, but um, I think that's their sort of plan. Maybe pay a lot of tax one year, maybe two, get under it for a few to reset and then still have the pipeline to where you can still field like a really good team. I mean, that that's a great place to be, right? That they can afford yeah. to do that. Um, all right. Baseball subs out of the way. I don't think it's going to shock anybody when I say that Trevor Bauer's an asshole and and has <laughs> has done some some really, really questionable things, uh, specifically online to various people on Twitter. He has had some very questionable uh, moral stances on certain things. You know, uh, he famously said that he is for a border wall. Um, he has said that he never personally met a Native American who had a problem with the Chief Wahoo logo, which to me means you've probably never met a Native American, <laughs> if, if that's your opinion. You know, he's He's somebody who, you know, I mean, he, he famously threw the baseball over the center field wall because he was pissed about being pulled out of a game. You know, he's just – and look, I don't need to be friends with the guys I root for. I don't need to know how they voted. But there's something about somebody flagrantly being a douchebag that really irks me as a fan. How are you feeling, Eric, about knowing that that guy is going to be on your team for the next couple years? That's the sort of you know thing that's like a huge turnoff, obviously, and I think that's sort of the right way that you that you sort of described it. There's been other things too, you know, some Twitter interactions. His biggest thing is where he'll go at somebody. He's he said he's like combative on Twitter because he's just sticking up for himself, but like there's an imbalance there because I I don't know what his follower count is today. As of the other day, it was like 420 something thousand people on Twitter. Um, it's probably the same on Instagram or close to it. Um, when he's going back at these people, like it's, it's bringing like, you know, the full force of like an army essentially, mm -hmm. uh, for like a, a, a rock fight. Uh, and, and like, so one of the incidents, um, I think it was from this actually the 2020, it was a relatively like tame back and forth. I think both sides were like kind of flippant, but like it wasn't that big of a deal. But then Bauer was like, here, let me send some followers your way. It was like as, as 
direct a call to action as you could like imagine in an innocuous way. But then he comes, he, his, uh, I believe Ken Rosenthal of the athletic called, uh, Bauer out in, in an article a few weeks before he signed and Bauer issued a few statements to him. And I, he was saying like, you know, it's, you know, it's not, he wasn't the one attacking the, the, like these reporters, people go out, um, this particular reporter got death threats, Holocaust jokes. And, and like, it was just awful for like months, uh, after this. And his deal is like, well, I didn't do it. You know? So he has like this, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, I may have started it, but I, I didn't really start it. It's really not my issue. And that's like a very childish way <laughs> to like go through stuff. And it's just not, it's just not cool. Like you, you just have to like grow up and realize that the platform you have, you can't, you can't incite stuff like this and then claim that it, um, to have no, or have like plausible deniability. Cause that's just not how it works. And, and he, know, I know he knows that, but he's like using it um, as an excuse. And that, that's just not, it's not cool. Yeah. yeah I, and I, go ahead, Chris. Sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's, I think, it's hard to like put this in the way maybe I'll get it right this time. Not, not that I've gotten it wrong, but just trying to get this thought and connect the things. Um, but players, uh, we've heard dozens of stories over the years of players who either temporarily or permanently got off their account, deleted it, took it down uh, because they were receiving threats. I uh, think, you know, terrible things that people say online, uh, in, in that kind of a situation, a player has a, a poor game, costs his team the game, and, and gets just a barrage of awful messages. Um, so I think that kind of – for players to know what that, like, internet mob is is sort of capable of uh, throwing at you, uh, they all know that, even if they haven't all experienced it. So my thing is – you know, you, you can't pretend that like, oh, I just I just tweeted a thing, you know, and not know what else is out there. Uh, and, and I think Eric, you know, very correctly mentioned that imbalance. Um, you know, you have thousands or hundreds of thousands of fans. Uh, you have to know what those people might do. Because as an athlete, you, you just can't have totally missed online behavior. You know, we and presumably teams in the league and, and maybe the union have some sort of social media training or, you know, something when you get to the major league level. Um, sort of about best practices and just, you know, what to do to not get yourself in trouble. Um, You'd hope so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would, I would just, I, I, I can't imagine that there isn't somebody sitting down and having a conversation, and I'm sure there's been plenty of somebody's who have just been like, oh man, this is what I have to do today because you know Trevor Bauer is on the team that I work for, and you know I get to deal with that today. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if any of that makes any sense, but it, it's no, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, so it's uh. I don't know. And uh, another thing too, that came up and I'm not sure if Dodgers fans have, have had a similar discourse. I, I would imagine they have, uh, 
but you know you have this notion of like well it's uh, he he's, it, it wasn't Jared Porter's actions it, you know it wasn't Jose Reyes's actions um, Callaway uh, right it wasn't Mickey Callaway and yes that is that is true but that doesn't make it okay and you know the similarity there is the person in power uh you know taking advantage of that that relationship they have with somebody who's who's far less uh than them in, in terms of power in the baseball world um you know players who have taken unnecessary shots at reporters in the past i i think you know personal things or well hey mickey calloway and jason vargas you know physical threats um exploiting that dynamic to your advantage when you are in the advantageous spot is something that should always be frowned upon. Um, and I, and I think that's something that at least among Mets fans, uh, might get missed a little bit. So Eric, I'm just curious if Dodger fans have had any similar, you know, sort of split on that. Yeah, I would say it is, it's a good way to put it. Like I always wonder too, like we're obviously so online and I think just, I would imagine the more offline Dodger fans are probably a lot more in favor of the signing than maybe the ones more online are. But there is, there's been a split, and it, it's like this weird balance, right? Um, Julio Urias got the final nine outs of Game Seven of the NLCS. He got the final seven outs of Game Six of the World Series that clinched championship. He's someone who, in 2019, um, was suspended for 15 games for violating the uh, MLB's domestic violence policy. He had an argument with uh, a woman. I believe it, it got to the point where no charges were pressed, but not that that's ever, uh, it doesn't exonerate anyone. It, uh, the MLB's investigation got to a point where they, they saw sufficient evidence to suspend him. That was a, that's a rough balance for a lot of people. Um, wanting to root for like essentially like the biggest Dodger moment in 32 years, they hadn't won a championship um, while wondering, do, do I root for this guy? You know, and that's anytime um, things get compromised, like values or whatever. Um, and you, you're, you put your fans in that um, situation where they have to like choose, that's never a good thing. And so you, you think like you just, um, it's just, it's a bad place to be. Like you, you don't want to have to make those decisions, um, necessarily. And again, like you mentioned, not equating what Bauer's in with that, but just, uh, you know, if it's unseemly, unsavory, whatever, um, it, it's still, it still sort of sours the, um, the, the water a little bit. Well, that was, you know, one of the reasons that I could not believe the Mets were still pursuing Bauer was because our brand new general manager was fired mid-season, mid-off-season rather, didn't even make it three months, and former manager Mickey Calloway stories just came out, you know, about Calloway's untoward behavior. And so you put those two things together and you just think, again, not the same thing, but do you really want to keep adding to this conversation? Do you want the the name Mets to be synonymous with shitheads? Like it just it just seems to me like it was such a foolish thing for the team to be pursuing and and tone deaf 
for them to be pursuing it. I, I wonder if if the Dodgers will I, I don't think getting away with it makes it sound like they're doing something wrong. I don't mean that, but will will there be less attention drawn to it because the Dodgers don't have as recent of a problem there? Right. There was also a rumor, uh, I believe it was yesterday, where like um uh I believe and I, I don't know if this was I think it was refuted at least on one end, but that the Angels uh, and the Dodgers were both interested in Roberto Osuna, who had a 75-game suspension um, with um, the, uh, I guess, Blue Jays at the time. The Astros essentially acquired him because he was cheap because of that. And then um, I remember famously, this was like 2018 when the Astros signed Osuna, and the Dodgers were like, they didn't come out and say it, but they're, they had backed out of the Roldis Chapman deal in 2015, a trade with the Reds because the stuff uh, surfaced about his domestic violence. Um, and so the Dodgers are sort of positioning themselves as taking the high road and said, you know, we have like a zero tolerance on this stuff. And then, you know, when, uh, when Urias got suspended, they're like, well, we just hope he, he, you know, does better going forward. <laughs> you know, just like, oh man, like, uh, so I, this is, you know, I think what's happening here is that the Dodgers are, uh, as an organization, whether it's Andrew Friedman, whether it's, uh, the ownership who had to like sign off on this, I'm sure they're, they're betting that whatever, uh, the downside of Bauer's online persona is, it's going to be outweighed by what he does on the mound. And like we mentioned, that in itself is like a question, but like um, th- that's just the the very cold uh, calculation that I think is going on here. And that makes it even more like kind of gross when you see how like the sausage is made. And uh, so, yeah, th- that's that's a very it's a very uh, weird place to be in. Yeah, it definitely is. And. I don't envy Dodger fans for having to walk that line this year. You know, I, I, I'm happy it's not me having to walk that line. But uh, do you have any indication as to sort of like what is? I think you said the more online fans are more upset about this, but like we had members in our Slack, you know, where we, which we used for communication, who basically said if the Mets signed Bauer, they were gonna they weren't gonna go to a game he pitched in, or maybe not go to a game while he's under contract or, you know, have, have other sort of very strong reactions. Are you seeing similar, uh, you know, pronouncements from people or is, or was that more of just maybe a specific to, to our crew conversation? I haven't seen it that extreme. I, I have seen like a few like columns about like essentially like right out of the gate saying Bauer's not worth the risk, you know, or like, uh, not worth the trouble, I guess, is the way to put it, um, in some form or another. And I think there's just like a general acceptance of that or, not, or acceptance that it exists, which is good. At least it's out there. Um, I would imagine like one, you know, it's so weird because there's like there's no fans right now and it's going to be limited fans anyway. So that you're not going to hear like booing, you know, the 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 sure sign that you know something is going wrong. You're not going to get that at first. I think it's going to take some time, but um, I would imagine we'll probably see like uh, I could see down the road, like in April, once the season's starting, maybe uh, when Bauer starts, maybe someone will do an online thing where uh, for every 
strike out, they'll donate to like a, um, a women's shelter or, uh, you know, or something like something like that as a way to like, turn it into a positive. Uh, but I, I haven't really seen anyone just throw their hands up and say like, well, screw this. I'm out. You know, it, the Dodgers, I think, are leveraging their goodwill of just having won the championship to like try to like, again, like push all their chips in, even if they the moves might be. Uh, a little unpopular. I think they've sort of built uh, a little bit of goodwill to be able to do that, which, you know, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. But like, I, I, I don't, I don't think it's gotten to the point where people are up in arms just yet. Sure. Sure. Um, Chris, do you have anything you want to jump in with here? Uh, no, no, nothing, nothing else uh, on my end. My only, a <laughs> call back now to a little bit earlier in the conversation. Uh, I can't remember the Mets winning a World Series. They, I was alive for one that they won. Uh, so I can't say that we have bragging rights or anything. But uh, I do occasionally enjoy watching the 2006 and 2015 NLDS highlights. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just uh, It's not a Justin Turner non-tender. But <laughs> uh, I, still, I still think about – I can still see Daniel Murphy wisely taking an open third base uh, – in game five of that NLDS uh, and then ultimately scoring what was the winning run, the series winning run. And I just remember like the look like Granky didn't cover third. Nobody was at third. Everyone was like, what the hell just happened here? And like that of all the way that was, uh, I believe, yeah, that was Andrew Friedman's first year running the front office. And I just remember thinking like, how the hell is this the way we lose? You know, I like, uh, so yeah, I, I get it. No, I, right, I don't, yeah, yeah, right. I, I, Brian and I and and uh, and several other Amazing Avenue writers and readers and uh, a, a nice crew were in a bar in Manhattan losing our minds uh, when yes. that happened. <laughs> yes, and, and, I, and I, I was at Game One of the 2006 NLDS with, with the double oh, tag, no. so I was Stay I was there. there. I yeah. was uh, <laughs> I was in the last row behind home plate, like way up in the nosebleeds, and I've never felt the stadium shake more than Shea Stadium did at that double tag moment. So I remember that game. So th- be- this was before I got into ac- baseball writing and I was had an office job at a commercial real estate company. And I remember that was like a, a day game and actually like a morning game because it was early playoffs. So in-, in the West Coast, it was like a 10 a.m. game or something. And I took uh, an early lunch and I went to a-, a local sports bar. And I just remember sitting there dumbfounded at that play. Well, and also <laughs> from the Dodger standpoint, you had Sean Green and Wright, former Dodger, yes. throwing to to Paul Aduka, former Dodger at home plate, <laughs> tagging out two different Dodgers on the plate. And I just was staring at the TV, and I just remembered, okay, this is going to be an even longer lunch. And I think I ordered like two or three more beers at that point. <laughs> and just like suffered through the end of that game. But no, I mean, looking back, it's hilarious now. But like at the time, I was just like, come on, like how is this happening? But yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah, there are lots of moments as Mets fans that we say, "How is this happening?" I feel like every fan <laughs> has some of them, but but Mets fans specifically have have a lot of them. So the fact that we could turn that around once in a while, you know, is something that I will I will cherish. But <laughs> um, well, Eric, is there anything else you want to say on sort of on behalf of uh, of Dodger fans or on behalf of your site or just about this? Do you have any final word you want to get in? I wish I did. Like, I think we sort of said, like said it all. Now I will say this. We, as we're recording this, the, 
the Dodgers still like haven't officially announced this and we're sort of waiting on this. And I would like to get into that like first interview. And uh, there's an, there's like all these other aspects about this trade that I'm like sort of excited to like dig into, you know, good and bad. Like Bauer was talking about wanting to pitch, like uh, have an honest conversation about pitching every fourth day. And like, does that even work? Like, how does that, you know, I want to know if that conversation happened and if they're like open to it, because that is a little, it's kind of fascinating to me, (laughs) but like, uh, I don't know. I just want to see how that first press conference goes because whether he's, he's, I'm sure he's going to be asked about it, um, about like his online, um, behavior, let's say. And I want to know how this is going to, what, what foot this is going to start off on. And that, that I, 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 I wish I would have known that before, before this, but like, um, th- that's what I'm sort of looking forward to next. Well, uh, your podcast comes out just about every week. Um, you were writing just about every day for, for both true blue LA and you're also writing for the angels SB nation site, correct? Yeah. For halos heaven. Uh, I would say, you know, the, probably the, the content, uh, not as much uh, on Halo 7, but, you know, once the season, we're getting close to the season, so we're getting sort of ramped up on, on both sides. Uh, but I think that the Dodger one maybe gets a little more attention, but uh, I think that's that comes with winning the World Series, so <laughs> that's yeah, part of it. I would say so. Uh, do you want to throw out your, your Twitter handle or anything else for people to follow you? Oh, yeah, just, uh, yeah on Twitter at Eric Steven, uh, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, and at Eric with a C. We'll be back in a minute with me and Chris talking a little bit of music before we get out of here, so stay tuned. Chris, what is your music pick for this week? So I think I am avoiding being redundant here. Uh, and since the it, they've come up uh, a decent amount in Slack <laughs> lately, which is a few of the other Amazing Avenue writers. Um, but I, I think I've mentioned Tame Impala in, in – music references that we've done but i don't think i've ever made one of their albums one of my uh recommendations so on that basis uh, i would say the album uh, lonerism is my recommendation for anybody who's heard me talk about them uh if i have before <laughs> uh it came out in 2012 uh the most recent record came out just last year and I, I still haven't really gotten into that one. I don't know if I will. Um, but yeah, Lonerism has, uh, the song elephant, which I think is probably the most likely song that anybody has heard from Tame Impala on it. Uh, and it has a few other really good tracks on it. Um, so start to finish, I, th- I think it's the best recommendation and it is yet another Australian music recommendation <laughs> from, me so yes yeah yes what about you uh so my pick is i'm doing this thing i did it last year too february it's started by a a a writer on twitter uh whose twitter handle is at uh no yoko onos which is a funny handle and uh, it's called the music writers exercise hashtag mwe you pick an album and you write a sentence review about it. So I've asked a bunch of my friends, including Chris, to pick an album, and then I have a list, and every day I use a random number generator to pick the album I'm going to listen to that day. And so my friend Vince, who I do a podcast with about DC Comics called the DC 3Cast, he recommended an album to me by a German band that I had never heard of before called Boren and Der Club of Gore. 
and the album is called Patchouli Blue. Now, Patchouli Blue sounds like it would be a jam band album, right? Uh, and Boren and Der Club of Gore sounds like a metal band, especially with the uh, skulls that are all over the album cover. But it is neither. It is a uh, <laughs> it's it's a self-described detective jazz album. And I have never heard a more accurate description of any kind of music. It's like lots of saxophone like and spooky little quiet drums and vibraphone. It sounds like the Twin Peaks music. If you like Twin Peaks, you will like this. It's really moody, really beautiful, really uh, haunting instrumental detective jazz music. So um, if that description sounds good to you, you'll love it. If it doesn't, you will hate it. It's a really easy thing. Like two minutes of listening to it will tell you everything you need to know about this album. So if that sounds good, listen to the first track. If not, I get it. Uh, yeah, Patchouli Blue by Boren and Der Club of Gore. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you again to Eric Steven for popping on the show. We really appreciate him uh, adding his insight. You can find uh, all of this stuff over at AmazingAvenue.com. We are gearing up for the season. Chris, spring training starts this weekend. Yeah, that's wild. It's insane. <laughs> I don't even know how to feel about it, but we're, we're getting there. Um we will be back in a few weeks to talk more. Until then, you can find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can find this show and all of our Amazing Avenue audio podcasts on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get podcasts. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And uh, until next time, let's go Mets.